When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Chapter 14, Percy and Padfoot. Harry was the first to awake in his dormitory next morning. He lay for a moment watching dust swirl in the chunk of sunlight falling through the gap in his four posters hangings and savored the thought that it was Saturday. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Margaret H. Willison. And it's Margaret's first time with me on Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Ah, Margaret, I'm so excited that you're here. You work full-time with us at Not Sorry Now, but we've been friends for a while longer than that. And we've co-recorded a lot of things, but never Harry Potter. It's true. This is our first time co-recording Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So, Margaret, the announcement that we have today is that, of course, people can review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe for ad-free episodes. But also, for our patrons who get ad-free episodes, we will have a bonus conversation, Every Flavored Bean. Mm -hmm. You had a great idea for Every Flavored Bean this week. What will it be? Thank you for that lovely compliment, Vanessa, because it feels related. Uh, Inspired by the moment when Cho calls Harry brave and it, like, totally makes his day, Vanessa and I are going to talk about compliments we've received that totally made our day. And I'm just so excited to hear what yours is, Vanessa. Something I love better than, like, a really well-formulated compliment. Can't wait. Our theme this week is resentment, and you have the opening story for us. Yes. So please, whenever you are ready. I look forward to hearing it. Well, I got to pick the theme for this week's episode, and I went for resentment because it feels like a rich topic. And I, like so many others in Western society, feel like I really learned about resentment by watching my mom. (laughs) And it's because moms are put in like this impossible trap. And So since I was 16, when my dad passed away, it's just been me, my older brother, and my mom. All three of us function with some amount of untreated ADHD, which means that, like, around travel and logistics, we're all, like, varying degrees of absolute nightmares. Mm -hmm. Since I graduated from college, I've lived in the same city as my mom. But up until 2020, my brother was always in a different city. And, like, Mm -hmm. every holiday season, there would be this dance where it would be, like, has Robert booked his ticket 
to come home yet, right? Mm -hmm. Has he booked his Thanksgiving ticket yet? And it would be like, of course, no, he hasn't. He was usually on an academic calendar. That's a period of time where there is just like massive, massive deadlines. You know what else? We absolutely collapse around. Spoiler, it's deadlines. And so Robert just wouldn't order the ticket, wouldn't order the ticket, wouldn't order the ticket. My mom would really feel like it was her job to make sure he ordered the ticket at the right time and like get it at a certain price and she would just agonize over it. And it would go in various different directions. And usually, you know, he'd probably get the ticket two weeks earlier than he would have. And like it was affordable at that point. And if mom didn't intervene, there's a good chance it wouldn't have been affordable. Like he might not have made it home. And I remember in particular, Rob moved down to North Carolina and uh, took a job at UNC. It was his first professional teaching job after getting his PhD. There was this huge tug of war back and forth about when he was going to get his ticket for Thanksgiving. And my mom finally just bought one for him, you know, and Rob got home for Thanksgiving. He got to celebrate with us. And mom really wanted there to be this moment where Robert was like, I'm so glad that you did this work to get me here. You know, I would never have been able to get here myself. And I'm so glad you took that initiative. And that moment never came. And I feel like there's this expectation that moms are going to manifest a certain outcome, right? That they're going to make holiday magic happen. And you don't get to just put that down once your kids become adults. And so the reason I feel like so many women end up trapped in resentment cycles is because we are coached to do care work. And care work is supposed to be invisible in capitalism because no one ascribes money to it. It doesn't count. And therefore, it's like you're working, you're working, you're working, you're frantically working. But if you make that work visible to another person, they're like, why are you bothering me with these details? Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to defend my brother here and just say that, like, I don't think he had the expectation that my mom would do this work for him. But it's like right. my mom has an idea of what a successful holiday is going to look like. And that is completely at odds with what a reasonable exertion of effort is going to look like. And I am very lucky as a younger child to have watched this dynamic between the two of them. And so mm -hmm. when mom sort of tries to do this stuff with me, when she like asks me where I'm going and then she starts sending me the weather reports for that place and being like, have you packed this? Have you packed that? I have a phrase. I'm like, mom, please stop trying to Cinderella mouse in my life. Like you're a mm -hmm. person. You're not my secretary. You're a person. We're now peers. And your job is not to make my life go smoothly. Your job is to focus on your life and try to communicate with me clearly about it. And like, mm -hmm. that's not something that we teach women to do. And it is a really, really hard thing to learn later on in life. I love that story. And I love that essentially your thesis is that resentment comes from like no communication. You know, I stepped in to Matt's shoes and <laughs> looked up the etymology of resentment. So excited to hear it. <laughs> it's so interesting. It comes from the French. And re is just an intensive prefix. It just makes something sound stronger. Mm -hmm. And sentir, which is the same in Spanish, means to feel. And so it's just like to feel mm -hmm. hard in its original. Mm -hmm. And now it's it's to feel negatively hard. Mm -hmm. And that's so interesting, right? That there's this evolution of like just feeling a lot can turn into feeling bad because if you're too grateful for something, if someone knows you too well, that can turn into a negative emotion. Yeah, <laughs> big time. And so I really understand that 
instinct. And I think a lot of the resentments in this chapter is because not necessarily of miscommunications, but because of lack of true communication. Yes. Right? Like Lupin doesn't get to go up to Umbridge and say, I resent that you think that I am unsafe to work for. And right. there isn't like a truth and reconciliation committee that allows the two of them to have that conversation. <laughs> And so, of course, resentments are going to build up on both sides, right? Yeah. Anyway, I'm really excited to dive into this chapter with that beautiful framing that you did. Thank you, Vanessa. I'm excited to investigate it, too. Although I'm also terrified of the 30-second recap. <laughs> well, I will go first. Thank you. Can you please count me in? Three, two, one, go. So Harry sends a letter to Sirius being like, my scar hurt, but it has to be in code. When he sends the letter, he runs into Cho. She's so cute. She's like, you're so brave. He's like, I know. Um, Ron is really anxious about Quidditch practice. They go and they pre-play. And Hermione's like, you guys should be doing more homework. And Harry's like, just let me play Quidditch. And Ron isn't great in the actual practice. Harry gets a letter from Percy. No, Ron gets a letter from Percy being like, hey, congrats on becoming a prefect. But also, you should definitely stay away from that Harry Potter kid. Sirius meets in the fire and is like, don't worry. I ran out of time. You did such a good job laying a groundwork for me, though, Vanessa. I feel really confident that I am going to be able to fill in the extra details. I hope. God, I hope. I am very confident in you as well. On your mark. Get set. Go. Okay. So Harry sends his letter off to Sirius, but... Filch has also been forewarned that Harry might be ordering dung bombs. And this seems like it could be a scheme to sort of get access to Harry's letters and we don't know who it comes from. Uh, then the reason that Ron is so bad at Quidditch is because Malfoy and a bunch of other people show up to taunt him and he just like can't tune their hateration out. Uh, then, um, despite saying that she would not let them copy off of him anymore, uh, Hermione lets them copy off of her again and Sirius warns them about something. I wasn't a very good recap, but I feel like I just was supplementary. <laughs> the thing that neither you nor I got to was that one of Sirius's famous lines is in this chapter, right? Yeah. One of Sirius's most unbearable moments is in this chapter. <laughs> yeah, both, right? Yeah. The, like, the world doesn't split into good people and death eaters. And then also, you're not as cool as your dad was. Yeah. Ugh. Harry. God, that so. moment really makes me mad. <laughs> Margaret, before we start our theme conversation, I wanted to tell you that this week's episode is actually sponsored by Crunch Labs. Crunch Labs is a small team of fun-loving design folks and engineering nerds, and they create a monthly subscription build box for kids. It is a STEM subscription where you get a really fun toy in the mail every month, and then you put it together by watching a video from former NASA engineer turned YouTuber Whoa. Mark Robber, where he teaches all the juicy physics that make the toy work. That's pretty cool. As an aunt, I really like to exercise my privilege of getting kids presents that like their parents won't buy for them. Yeah. But every once in a while, it is nice to not just be an aunt, but also be a friend, right? And get a <laughs> present that the kids are going to like, that the parents aren't going to resent you for giving them. And this seems like a great version of that. Yeah. Coach Labs is great for gift giving, whether it's for your kids, your nibblings, your friends' kids, your godchildren. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I'm like, this drum kit's really going to annoy the parents, but it's going <laughs> to exactly. make me seem awesome. Have fun with this recorder, kid. <laughs> yeah, but I think that you're right that Crunch Labs is going to make us look good with the adults and the children yeah. in our lives. Yeah. So go to crunchlabs.com slash HPST and get your kids Crunch Labs today. I found resentment to be such an interesting frame to engage with this chapter through. 
And there was a moment at like the very beginning that really leapt out to me where I was like, ooh, ooh, this is so interesting because it's a moment of resolution of resentment, I think, rather than a moment of engendering resentment. And it is Harry sitting down to write Sirius a letter and he's suddenly confronted with like how incredibly hard it is to communicate information without turning the letter into something that if it fell into the wrong hands would make things difficult. And one of the like major sources of resentment for Harry at the beginning of this book is that like Ron and Hermione, like no one's telling him anything. And Ron and Hermione will write these empty letters. And there's a specific sentence where he says he could now appreciate how hard it had been for Ron and Hermione to write him letters over the summer. So I don't know if he's connecting all the way there and being like, oh, I shouldn't have resented them for that. But you can see that it's like now that he's stepping into that understanding, he suddenly has grace for the way that they were showing up like in a lackluster way for him that he hadn't had before. And I find that to be so illustrative of how a lot of resentments have resolved in my life. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I love this. And I think that that's exactly right. And he wasn't going to be able to hear it, which I think is one of those interesting things. He had to experience it because it's like, well, how hard could that be? Right. Right. And uh, until you're in the situation, you don't you don't know how hard it can be. Right. I was an executive assistant at 22, which is just like a ridiculous time to try to be an executive anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the CEO who I was like, you know, I would set up his calendar for him and I would have the address of where he was going. And he he kept telling me that I wasn't giving him specific enough information. And I was like, I don't know what I can do except put the address in. Right. And then once he forgot a document that he needed, and so I had to bring it to him, and I went to the address. And it was these huge New York buildings with multiple entrances. Oh, wow. And I was like, got it. That's why he (laughs) feels like he needs more information. Right. And then I started calling the offices that he was going to go to and be like, hey, so the north entrance or the south entrance and, you know, the escalators or the elevators to put all of that in. But him just saying, you're not giving me enough information. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, right? Like, <laughs> it just, like, didn't occur to me. We were in a small office. Well, like, it didn't occur to me what he was going through. Sure. And so I think that, yeah, all of this, like, mutual resentment went away where I was resenting him for, you know, attacking me for something I didn't feel like I could change and he and he was resenting me for not understanding and then as soon as I understood I was just like okay fair enough totally and yeah you just sometimes need you just need to do it yourself to see right or like I feel like this is where like one of the precepts of the company that we both work for that you founded is assume good intentions right, right. and this is where that plays into fact is it's like If my mom assumes, like, I haven't responded to her text because, like, I saw it and I was like, "Mm, I don't care enough to respond to that right now. (laughs) Like, that will breed resentment. But if she knows, like, I've been in back-to-back meetings all day and, like, I've barely stopped to eat and I'm doing poorly at regulating my time and I have a lot of stuff to get done. Once she hears that narrative, the resentment almost always resolves. And it's just like, okay, but, like, wouldn't it be cool? (laughs) Yeah. Like, wouldn't it be dope? (laughs) If you could just assume I'm not contacting you because I'm overwhelmed, right? Rather than assuming I'm in this position of power and I'm, like, making a discriminating choice to, like, ignore you. Right. I feel like this is bleeding into, like, our next situation where it's, like, it's easy when there's, like, a clear right or wrong. 
where like as soon as you have the additional information, you're like, oh, I get it. I I feel like it's then harder when like that's not the case, when there isn't a clear right or wrong answer that you can point to. And that's sort of the mess that is serious in this chapter. Yeah. So serious in this chapter, he has a lot to resent. Like, he is locked up at home. Yeah. So he comes and visits Ron, Harry, and Hermione in the fire because Harry has sent this letter that was really difficult for him to write. And Sirius comes because he's like, I don't even know how to write a letter without, (laughs) you know, without giving away stuff. So I thought Mm -hmm. it'd come into the fire. Right. And resentments immediately start flying, right? Hermione is like, someone could have seen you. Right. She's like mad that he's being reckless. And then they have this conversation where Sirius is like, look, I've talked to some people. We're not worried about your scar. And Sirius then immediately brings up Creature, that he's just Mm -hmm. stuck at home all the time with Creature, and maybe Mm -hmm. Creature is listening. And Hermione resents that, like genuinely (laughs) resents that, and is like, stop it, right? Right. And then Sirius resents that. He's like, you don't know what it's like to live with Creature all the time. Right. And the problem about Creature is like, they're both right. (laughs) Yes. No, I mean, like, he is oppressed, but he's also a jerk. And Sirius has to live with him. Sirius has more power. So what he's doing is cruel. But yeah, no, it's just that doesn't make it pleasant. And then the conversation continues and resentments really do just grow. Right? Sirius is like, you have no idea what it's like to be trapped here. And Hermione is like, well, you got to just stay because you were almost caught. And he's like, well, you sound like Molly. And Hermione feels like Sirius isn't taking what's going on seriously enough. And then Sirius even resents Harry. Yeah. Because Harry is like, no, man, don't come visit. And he says this, like, really immature thing of, like, essentially, like, your dad was more fun than you are. Yeah. The resentments just escalate and escalate. Yeah. They really do. One of the things that struck me as you were describing this is you said Sirius has the power. And I feel like this is kind of, if the assumption of good intentions is the way through resentment, I feel like the way to generate resentment is the assumption of power right, on the other person's part, is disempowering yourself and empowering somebody else, right? And if you don't have an understanding of sort of where the power actually lies in a dynamic and like what power you yourself possess in a dynamic, I feel like that's a situation where resentment is going to breed, right? And that is illustrated with Creature and Sirius, where it's like Creature is literally subservient to Sirius, right? Subservient to Sirius's family, subservient to the visiting race. Sirius has real power in that dynamic, right? That should require him to be careful, to just be thoughtful, to be careful. But Sirius experiences creature not as a subservient thing, but as a facet of like the oppressive black family system, that's been damning him all his life and keeping him under his thumb all its life. So he is incorrectly empowering Creature, imbuing him with like the strength of the Black family and therefore rebelling against him and belittling him and being cruel to him. When in fact, he has power in this dynamic and he needs to take that into himself and then like take the corresponding responsibility that goes along with it. Yeah, I love that point about resentment across power. Mm -hmm. And that, like, I think that people with more power can resent. Like, you don't understand. I actually have less power than you think I do. Yeah. Like, well, I think that's what's happening with Sirius and Hermione. 
Exactly. Hermione thinks he has this power and he feels, and I think rightly, really disempowered and like he's really suffering. Right. And so it is complicated. We want to make these clear delineations of like, well, you have more power and therefore. Yeah. And it's like, well, sometimes you don't know that you have more power. Right. Like there are situations in which it is very clear. Right. Like (laughs) police officer, civilian, teacher, student. Right. Like Mm -hmm. but even I mean, I'll take teacher, student. Right. Like if you're a student whose parent is on the board with the school, that then changes the power. Right. Like these things really are complicated. Yeah. If you're Draco Malfoy and you can go tell your father, (laughs) it's a very different power dynamic. Exactly. As Draco knows. Yeah, then Ernie McMillan, who, you know, was muggle-born and parents, like, I don't think really know where Hogwarts is. Right. And so, yeah, I just really love your point that it is power imbalances that breed resentment and that one of the things about power imbalances that can breed resentment is not understanding who has the power in the situation. Yeah. And, like, that actually being complicated and unclear. And that also goes back to the example you were saying about being an executive assistant, right? Where, like, the CEO you were assisting felt like you were the person with the power because you had the information, right? And you were withholding the information and then making him look, like, feel destabilized in moments when he probably had to feel, like, you know, really, like, capable of taking on the world. And you're sitting there and you're like, I'm just your assistant like i'm not yeah. like, what am i supposed to be doing here that i'm not doing here and with credit to you that you had the emotional imagination to when in that situation like extrapolate into what he was feeling right and be like oh this is really overwhelming and then also think about how to solve that problem for all you were saying oh like no 22 year old should be an executive assistant i would say that was an incredible example of executive assistance Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. 
And so I used the review and refine feature and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. The last place of resentment that I think we've really got to pay attention to is just like essentially the closing of the chapter, you know, which is Ron and Hermione's going back and forth on resentment. Right. So Hermione warns the boys. She's like, you guys are already behind on homework. You should not go down and play extra Quidditch. Mm -hmm. I agree with the boys that they are entitled to some Quidditch time, especially Harry. Sure. He has spent the whole week in detention. It is a beautiful day. Who cares about school? Go play Quidditch for a few hours. Right. But she resents that they're getting behind because she knows that this is going to become her problem. Right. You're going to go play Quidditch, and then you're going to expect me to help you with your homework. And so she says, I am not going to help you with your homework. And when the boys aren't under a ton of stress, they're like, fine. But she knows. She knows they're going to come back, and they're going to feel pinched for time, Yeah, that they are going to pressure her. And so at first she's like, no, I am not just letting you copy. Like, you have to learn it. It's wrong. No. And Ron is already in a bad mood because he did not do very well at Quidditch practice. And Hermione assumes that he's in a bad mood because he didn't do well at Quidditch practice, which really hurts his feelings. Mm -hmm. Like, everyone's going into this not feeling great. Right. I mean, like, the boys are wrong to resent this about Hermione. Yeah. She does not owe them her labor. No. And I feel like what Hermione has done is actually long-term better for everyone, but especially better for her. Because what she recognized is that she was participating in a dynamic that was breeding resentment in her. Right. Where like the boys didn't do homework, didn't value having done homework and would just copy hers and just took it for granted that they could. They had like made all of the labor that she'd done invisible. And like that will breed resentment. And it also breeds concern on her part because like they're not learning that way. Right. And Harry, I'll credit, just like takes her at her word. He's like, yeah, you know what? (laughs) She doesn't have to do this for us and she's not going to anymore. Whereas Ron is a little jerk about it. And is like pressuring her. And that's another way that I feel power comes into a resentment dynamic. Ron is mad at Malfoy for like showing up to the Quidditch pitch and taunting him such that like he couldn't perform the way he wants to in that space. Ron is mad because he was embarrassed by another person. But instead of being mad at the person, he takes his anger out on Hermione for perceiving the embarrassment. And because it is a situation where like he knows he has the power in this relationship where if Hermione causes a problem, Harry will either pick neither side or pick Ron's side most of the time. And Hermione is going to be the one who suffers. So he has this latitude to vent his resentment at her, even though it's not something that she did anything to create. And then I just found the sentence where she finally relents, like such a clear example 
of J.K. Rowling's internalized misogyny. Yeah. Like, I had to bring it to the fore. Hermione has relented. And Ron is like, what can I say is what it seems like says. And she says, what you can say is, we promise we'll never leave our homework this late again, she said, holding out both hands for their essays. But she looked slightly amused all the same. And it's that, like... Ugh, slightly amused all the same. It's like, well, boys will be boys. Yeah. So here's my homework to copy, fellas. But like, remember, next time you have to do this yeah. for yourselves. But it's this indulgence. It's this indulgence of entitlement. Yeah. And that that is, in a lot of ways, sort of the model that women are taught to practice. And I also, again, I want to complicate it. It's not just women. I feel like anybody operating across a power differential right. is encouraged to practice that. Right. You are encouraged to indulge the immaturity and entitlement and bad behavior of your quote-unquote betters, right? And that is what earns you a right to be in their space. That's what earns you a spot at the table, right? Rather than holding them to account. And I also think it's just like such an important example of what is really hard (laughs) about breaking cycles that breed resentment is that like usually they've been built up because you are trying to forestall an outcome that may not directly impact you, right? But like will make you really sad. Like if Ron and Harry fail their owls, like Hermione will feel terrible. Like she's not indifferent to the outcomes in their lives. She's very attached to these outcomes for them. And letting them suffer the consequences of their own choices is incredibly painful for her. And that makes it very easy to manipulate her back into a position of subservience. And like, that's the thing is it's like, once you accustom people to a certain dynamic, like they will feel resentment when that dynamic goes away. And you have to be comfortable, like letting them experience the consequence of their actions and understand that like, they have to go through that process firsthand in order to learn. You can't just like insulate them from negative outcomes and then hope that they'll just voluntarily stop taking advantage of you. <laughs> right. And I actually think Rowling misunderstands Hermione here. I understand that Hermione is a figment of her imagination, but this is uncharacteristic for Hermione to like be blushing and be like, you guys. <laughs> I think everything we know about Hermione is that sh- what she is admitting in this moment is exactly what you're saying, which is like, I deeply resent this. Like, I want you to do well, but I do not want to be the way that you do well. And like, I don't think there's a smile attached to that. Yeah. I think she just knows the bind she's in. And is like, well, I would rather you do well than not exploit me, I guess. Mm. And so here we are. I'm exploited. And so, yeah, I really, I love that you call attention to that smile because I hate it. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing is like, there is a reward system that's attached to letting yourself be exploited. Like, is it ever going to be enough to make up for the labor that you're doing that someone else wants to make invisible? Like, no, probably not. But in that moment of transaction where you can swoop in and provide this relief, like you do get that like reward pellet. <laughs> and you don't get actually a reward pellet for like preserving your own energy and disappointing somebody else. You get the opposite. You get punished. And you just have to, like, hold fast in the knowledge that, like, it's going to suck now. But 
ultimately, I'm going to have more space to like this person if I'm not letting them misuse me, take advantage of me. Yeah. But it's 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 really hard. It's really hard. And it feels in the moment that you're doing it so much more counterintuitive than I think it should. Yeah. So, Margaret, I'm so excited we're going to do Florilegia, our sacred reading practice where you and I each talk about a sentence that sparkled up at us. We'll give a little bit of context for the sentence, and then we'll talk about why we chose it. And then we're going to put the two sentences in conversation with one another. Do you want to go first? What is the sentence that you brought? So the sentence that I brought is, again, from early in the chapter, and it is as follows. Harry reread this letter several times, trying to see it from the point of view of an outsider. So please remind us where this is in the chapter. What's happening? This is right after he has written the coded letter to Sirius. And he's put all of this thought into how can I communicate to Sirius in a way that will be opaque to anyone else reading it. But I liked the sentence, especially within the theme of resentment, because even though here he's rereading like defensively, he's rereading to try and keep meaning to himself. I really do think it is that practice of sort of trying to get outside your own point of view and imagine yourself in other positions around an issue that can give you the material to imagine good intentions in a way that's real and informed, right? And not letting you get snookered, right? And also to call back to yourself the power that you do have in dynamics where you feel resentment and and think it's beyond your control, but in fact... There's a pattern you're participating in that you can break. And then finally, the most important space is it's the one where there is no clear answer about who has power, right? And the answer is like, everyone is disempowered in different ways and everyone is in pain and suffering with this outcome. And if I can participate in a way that acknowledges that and makes space for it, we might be able to get through this with a feeling of mutual good intention, right? Rather than a feeling of rampant resentment. So that's why I picked my sentence. But Vanessa, I'm really excited to hear what yours is and why you picked it. So mine is from Percy's letter to Ron. And here it is. I sincerely hope that in time they will realize how mistaken they were. And I shall, of course, be ready to accept a full apology when the day comes. (laughs) So Percy is writing this letter to Ron because he's hoping that Ron will follow his path. And Percy's path is predicated on the idea that Dumbledore is losing his touch with reality Mm -hmm. and that Harry is lying. And this is information that Percy is getting from the Ministry of Magic and from, you know, the main newspaper at the time. He's not, like, reading 4chan here, right? Right, Like, this is, like, (laughs) the industry line. Yeah. He's not on (laughs) truth.com. He's not, right? Like, he's trying. And I really do believe that this is, like, him really trying to to motivate Ron to be safe and be well. There are a couple of telling moments in the letter that, you know, show that there's ego involved on Percy's end. But I believe that Percy is actually sending this letter in good faith. And I think that this sentence is evidence of that. So he's talking about Molly and Arthur, and he's like, they are sadly still following Dumbledore, even (laughs) though Dumbledore is wrong. Voldemort is not back. And, like, 
come on, guys, there's work to be done. Like, can you please stop following this nutty conspiracy theory? Right. And he says, right, like, I can't, I just couldn't stay in that house anymore. It was costing me my job. And, like, mom and dad are on the wrong side of history. Yeah. But then he says, and I just, I believe him. I sincerely hope that in time they will realize how they were mistaken. And I'm ready to accept an apology when that day comes. Like, I miss them. I want to be in good relationship with them. Mm -hmm. I'm ready. But, like, I can't live in that house as long as we have a different perception of reality. Even the sentence, though, belies the complicatedness of it, right? Right. I will be ready to accept a full apology when that day comes, right? Like, there's a lack of humility. There's, like, it's got Percy all over it. But I think that... I just want to claim this moment for Percy as one of genuineness, if nothing else. Right. Well, I feel like we're in a moment where, like, Percy's action actually has a parallel that's, like, very telling, right? Which is, like, imagine Percy is someone who works for the U.S. government and his parents are people who think the election was stolen, right? And Mm -hmm. then imagine what his position is. And, you know... That is how this circumstance looks to some people. Right. (laughs) Right. That is the analog that people would draw between these circumstances is like they're believing in this wild fiction that's giving them this heroic drive. But in fact, you know, things are just very normal. (laughs) Right. I think the other thing you get is that like so much of Percy's ego comes from resentment, right, where he's Mm -hmm. worked so hard to follow all the rules all his life. And he has to live with the fact that, like, his family's, like, never liked him for it, right? And that's, I feel like, the thing that you see in this letter is he feels like because Ron's been made a prefect, like, now Ron might be an ally to him in a way that he never has had in the family before. And, And that's exciting for him, right? And he's obviously quite misbegotten, right? But it's so much more complicated than it looks. Totally. Which is one of the things that I think the letter shows us by his not including Charlie and Bill, who were also prefects. Right. I'm like, oh, you're looking for a very specific kind of ally. Yeah. Okay. So now let's put these two lines in conversation with each other. So I will read them in the order in which we discuss them for now. Harry reread this letter several times, trying to see it from the point of view of an outsider. I sincerely hope that, in time, they will realize how mistaken they were, and I shall, of course, be ready to accept a full apology when that day comes. It's interesting. It's both about letters, so... Yeah, I I spotted that, too. I was like, oh, these go together so nicely. And here... You know, I really feel like they complement each other so well. Like, to my mind, he is rereading the line of his own letter, and it says what it says here, and that he's basically, like, doing what I think everyone should do when they send a letter that's important, which is trying to figure out how it is going to sound to the people who receive it, right? Not just how it sounds to yourself. And I think that that's really strong, and I feel like, Put in that context, I feel the drive towards mutual understanding and reunion that that second line represents more strongly than I do the, like, ego, which is like, in the end, everyone is going to know I was right and they're going to say so very fulsomely and that's how we'll all get back together. 
Yes, I love that. I've talked about this before, how one of the worst days of my life was the day that I had to read my own audiobook out loud. Oh, God. That <laughs> feeling of when you're reading something aloud and you can't change it. And so I love picturing Harry being like, okay, can this be understood from an outside point of view? That's just a reminder that that's just a good practice to do in general. Yes. It is vague enough that it could work mm-hmm. as, like, unintelligible to <laughs> an outside reader. Mm-hmm. So... Well, great. So now I'll flip the sentences and we'll see what comes from that. I'm excited. I sincerely hope that in time they will realize how mistaken they were. And I shall, of course, be ready to accept a full apology when that day comes. Harry reread this letter several times, trying to see it from the point of view of an outsider. Oh, my God, Margaret. (laughs) Yeah, it totally shifts differently. Yeah, and I, this is now something I do, where I'm like, I just got this letter. I find it deeply offensive. Can you please read it to tell me (laughs) if I'm wrong? Am I being too sensitive? Right. Am I, like, is my reaction wildly inappropriate? Right. This is, like, the sanity check move that, like, I would imagine a lot of us do in friendship of, like, my feelings were hurt. Am I right to have my feelings hurt? Help. And then the betrayal when, like, sometimes people are like, no, I don't think you were right to have your feelings hurt. You're like, okay, but, but, like, but actually, wait. But come on, I don't think I give you all the details. I I think you need more context before you make that ruling. This also then reminds you of sort of how these lines, like, the different letters that these lines come from and, like, how awful it felt as Harry to read Percy's letter. Right? Yeah. How incredibly painful it was for him to know that, like, this person who he sort of considers family considers him like somebody who should just callously be dropped for fear of damaging someone's future job prospects. And just how painful it can be to be exposed to how radically different the worldviews of the people we love can be from our own and like how radically different our values can be and like what that means how, in how we show up for one another. I think it's so much easier to perceive when someone disappoints you than when someone shows up for you in a way you wouldn't have anticipated them needing to, right? Because their values guide them to it. But this is one where like, you know, if Harry had gotten pulled in for cauldron thickness, Percy would have had his back. Percy would have known every bylaw. Percy would have, if, if, if Percy was being turned to as an ally, he could be such a valuable ally, right? But when he's not being turned to as an ally, his goal towards understanding power becomes being subservient to it. And like, it's just so ugly how that renders the world. And we've been a little bit hard on Ron in this chapter. I want to say that I think his response to this is brilliant, right? Like, he just doesn't take it seriously in front of Harry for a second. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't need to have a heart to heart of like, you know, I'm not gonna like, I I don't feel that way. He's just like, what an idiot. Like, Mm. obviously. Yeah, I'm scared of you. No, no. And I I think there's real skill in that tact. So, Well, that is a good thing to bless Ron with. (laughs) Margaret, thank you so much for doing Florilegio with me. It was so much fun, Vanessa. (laughs) Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Danny. Hi, Vanessa and Matt and AJ. It's Danny. I was listening to your latest chapter on comparison and the whole time I was having this silent conversation with the two of you about Sirius and Molly and their argument and their motivations with regards to Harry. And I think it's so interesting how many layers there are to the way that Sirius is treating Harry. Because on the one hand, I think you're absolutely right about Molly wanting to treat him like a child, which is what he is. But on the other, we know that Harry likes the way that Sirius treats him as a peer, in the way that a lot of teenagers wish that adults would treat them as equals instead of as little kids. And on the other other hand, honestly, if Harry had been given the information about the quote-unquote weapon being himself, that might have saved a lot of pain for a lot of characters, including Sirius, in this novel. If Harry had been aware from the jump that Voldemort was using him or had the possibility of getting inside of his head, uh, there's a chance that Sirius doesn't die at the end of this book. So I just think it's interesting that while Molly, Molly's motivations are pure and probably correct morally, they might be strategically wrong in this case. And uh, that's not her fault. I just think it's a really interesting aspect. I also wanted to point to the fact that Sirius's stunted development and inability to act as a proper adult in Harry's life has a lot to do with the fact that he spent 12 years behind bars shortly after suffering the severe trauma of his friends being murdered by his other friend um, and him being accused of that crime. So I think there's just a lot of... Um, comparisons to be made between the adult that Sirius might have been and the adult that he was because of his own um, really tragic circumstances. So I think you're right about Sirius and Molly, but also, I don't know, I was, I found myself feeling surprisingly defensive on Sirius's behalf as I was listening to you talk. So I guess I'd like to bless him for his own suffering and for his really unfortunate fate at the end of this novel. Thank you for all that you do. Well, this is so interesting to me. Yeah. So I will say that this illustrates one of the truisms I find about like bad authority figure teenager interactions, which is like 
if an adult is treating a teenager as a peer, like that's inherently a danger sign. <laughs> it is wild how quickly you look at a 14-year-old and you're like, oh, that's a tiny little baby. <laughs> like that is a tadpole. That person is not developed. And how strongly and potently that comes upon you. And I feel like this is a great illustration where it's like Sirius sees these folks as peers because his own development has been really disrupted. Like he never got to have a normal adult life. His life sort of froze at 22. So he genuinely looks at teenagers and sees peers, right? And it's not malicious, but it is dangerous. But equally, like Molly is maybe still looking at them and seeing children. Right. And like, you have to honor their agency more than that in your interactions with them. And I feel like that was the point Danny was bringing out so beautifully. Yeah, there, I mean, and I know that, Danny, you know this, right? Like, there's no right answer, right? Like, that is the problem with teenagers, right? <laughs> I think we think of the problem with teenagers is their behavior. But I think it is also that as adults, we don't know what to do with them because they they are in this in-between place, right? Yeah. Like, they are not children, but they should not have the burdens of full adulthood. And so I certainly take your point that this was a strategic error, whether or not it was a psychological or emotional one, right? Like, to your point, right. like, we don't know. But I think you were right. We were piling up on Sirius, and I'm really grateful for you reminding us of that. It is now time for us to remember members of our community who have been loved and lost. Peggy Wood, our listener's mother, who has been gone 20 years this month. Our listener wishes she could see them now. Judy Janes, 96, a grandmother, sister, and knitter. Justine Myers, who was 29, a kind soul and a fighter until the end. Rob Krause, a father and friend who brought the love of theater into the community. May their memories be a blessing to us all. Margaret, we now get to offer blessings for characters in the chapter. Who would you like to bless this week? I'm surprising myself, and I really want to bless Harry in this chapter this week. I'm very hard on Harry a lot of the time because I think he's too much like James. But in this chapter, there are a bunch of moments where I was like, you're being presented with a really complicated dynamic, and you're going the right direction with it, right? And I think the most prominent one of those is with Hermione, where he's like really, really respectful of the boundary that she's drawn. And he like doesn't take for granted that she should just be doing their homework. He doesn't necessarily listen to her. And I agree with you. I think he was right to go out and play Quidditch. Right. But like he recognizes that he's the only person responsible for the position that he's in that night. And that like if he doesn't want to be in that position, he needs to do homework during the week. Right. Whereas Ron is relaxing into entitlement to Hermione's support. And I was like, good for good for you, Harry. And then I think the other spot where he is recognizing something complicated is in his dynamic with Sirius, where he's acting against his own desires. Like he would love to see Sirius in order to keep Sirius safe 
even though Sirius is going to be mean to him about the fact that he's doing that. And I was just really feeling for him and sympathizing with him and celebrating him for picking the correct and complicated answer in situations where it would be easy to just be less mature. I always love when we actually manage to bless Harry. <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm happy to provide it. <laughs> we did it. I am blessing Cho. She is my favorite character in this novel. Mm-hmm. And we just already see her shining. I really love it when people are just willing to say the truth plainly. And, you know, she just walks right up to Harry. I mean, they run into each other in the Owlery, but she's like, I think what you're doing is really brave, admitting that Cedric died the way that he did, right? She is just not tiptoeing. She is talking directly. And in a world in which, you know, everyone is speaking doublespeak and, like, not saying what they mean. And, you know, we're going to see Cho and Harry fight later. But it's not resentment because Cho is such a clear communicator. And I love her for it. And bless Cho Chang and all the direct communicators out there. Here, here. You're doing good work. Next week, we're reading Book 5, Chapter 15, The Hogwarts High Inquisitor, through the theme of charisma. And we can't wait. A few reminders before we give our thanks. You can get ad-free episodes by listening to Apple Podcasts. We have four pilgrimages that are available on sale right now. One, The Duke by Default with Nicole Perkins. Two, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban with Casper Turkile, me, and Ariana Nettleman. Bridgerton with me, Margaret H. Willison, Woo! and Laura Glass. And Weathering Heights with Sana from the great YouTube channel Quills and Books. And me again. <laughs> and Margaret again. You can find out more about all of those at readingandwalkingwith.com. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Caitlin Hoffmeister. We are edited and produced by AJ Uramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. We'd like to thank Danny for her voicemail this week. Laura Glass, Ariana Nettleman, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Willison, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehat, Courtney Brown, Casper Kyle, Matt Potts, Stephanie Paulsell, everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones, and one last time, a big thanks to Margaret. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. Oh, and I'm Margaret Willison. <laughs> yes, without the O. Sure. <laughs> <laughs>